And verse 27 is where we're at, but we'll read verse 26 and 27. And uh, then we'll uh, work our way through um, really this one more time on this issue of prayer uh, as uh, Paul is introducing this to us in our Christian growth, in our walk. We're in Romans 8. Uh, he, he's laying in the foundation. If you think about where Romans sits in our edification process, we're in the very beginning of our understanding. Verse 8, or verse 26, he says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth with our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And again, Paul brings up prayer. First time in all of Romans does he bring up prayer. First time that he brings it up, he says, we don't know what we ought to pray for. And again, this is startling language from Paul. Paul, up to this point, like in chapter 6, know you not. Don't you know this? Reckon this. Do this. This is who you are. You ought to know this. You ought to know. And here he says, hey, we know not what we should pray for as we ought. And again, the issue here isn't, we don't know how to pray, because we do know how to pray. Paul, uh, the Lord tells the, the, the disciples in Matthew 6, don't pray like the heathen pray. Vain repetitions and over and over and over again. Well, then that means the heathen know how to do what? They know how to pray. We don't know what we ought to be praying for. The content of our prayer is where we lack. We have a deficiency here. So the Spirit also helpeth with our infirmities. That issue of helping, he, he's, and the issue of intercession, <laughs> it isn't intervening. Those are two different words. They have two different definitions in the dictionary. Christendom, religion, says the Spirit comes over here and intervenes. And then he takes your prayer and he does this hoodly-do mystical thing so that it matches the will of God. And again, we talked last time, that isn't what he's doing at all. Actually, that's just, that's just Tom, that's, it is not in the scriptures at all that that's what he's doing here. What does he do? He helps with our infirmities. And Paul bringing up prayer, again, we don't know what we ought to be praying for. By the way, the context is verse 18 about the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with what? With glory. So if you think about a scale balancing out, glory is always down and the suffering is, they aren't worthy to be compared. They never balance out each other. The passage in 2 Corinthians 4 where the light affliction is but for a moment, it what? Worketh for us a far more exceeding weight of glory. Suffering is going to come, glory still outweighs it. It's still cattywampus. I almost brought in scales just for the visual. Why? Because we, we get to thinking about, well, it ought to balance. It doesn't balance. Glory is going to always outweigh the suffering. We know what prayer is. We've looked at it, Lamentations and Samuel there and with Hannah and back in there and so forth where we pour out our hearts to the Lord. Pour out your hearts like water, Lamentation 2 says. And that's really what we're doing. We're pouring out our soul, our heart to the Father. 
And he wants it that way. He wants that very intimate, uh, personal relationship with you. He does, he's not a sterile scenario where you've got to walk in with all suited up. You know, all the COVID stuff starting back up this week. You know, and, and they're showing the canned footage from, la- from last year of all everybody gowned up, you know. <laughs> I was talking to Rachel. She's a nurse and so forth. And she's like, yeah, it's starting up again. And there's, we got the COVID ward, nobody in it. <laughs> but we got it, you know. Well, why? Because the dictates are coming in that they have it, and they do, but there's just nobody there. That's not the kind of relationship the Father wants to have with you. He wants you to pour out your heart, pour out your soul about the details of life. What's going on in life? Talk to him about it but also talking to him with the understanding that how do I take his word and then apply it to the details of life? How do I come along this tragic event or this happy occasion? You know, he says rejoice evermore. You ought to be rejoicing. You ought to be praising the Lord, talking to the Father, even when the good stuff's happening, you know. You ever, we've been cleaning out the garage and we find stuff and we go, Wow, woohoo, look at that, we found it. And then about two days later, I go, what did we find? Do you remember? You know, <laughs> you get excited about it. Well, you ought to be praising the Lord for the good things as well as going to him when the bad things hit. And that's what verse 26 is really talking about. The end of that verse, for the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us. Intercession, again, not intervening. Uh, I was trying to think about how to, how to illustrate that. If you have car trouble, Lay had car trouble, he was working on it. I could intervene into that situation, put myself into it, fix it, help him, and it's done. That's intervening. Okay? Whether he asks or not, isn't I insert me in it. Intercession isn't that at all. Intercession is a third party coming in and taking two parties and getting them on the same page. We think about a courtroom. You've got two parties at odd. What does the judge do? He intercedes on behalf of both parties. And the issue of intercession is how to bring two parties to the same conclusion, to the same understanding. And here we have the Holy Spirit. He's given this ministry to come in and to bring our understanding, our groanings, in line with the word and the will of the Father. And that's how he's been working since day one. Look at Genesis 1.1. Just so you see this, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Verse 2. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God, what? Said. So you've got the Spirit of God going to work with the Word of God. So you've got the Son, the Word, John 1, 1. And then you've got the Spirit. And what's the Spirit going to do? He's going to go to work, but based upon what? And God said. So he's going to come... And he's going to begin to work, but he's not working over here in a mystical, you know, hoodly-doo 
kind of mystic idea. But rather, he's coming in, back in Romans 8 now, he's coming in and he's bringing our understanding. He's working in our, the realm of our inner man. And he's in there working to bring our understanding into conformity with something that God's revealing. With something that God, with his thinking, with his valuing, with his esteeming. In, in Romans 8, what is his thinking? Think about this. What's his thinking? Romans 8, 8, 7, 8, 8, 17. And if children, then heirs of God and join heirs with Christ. Who are you? We spent weeks going through our identity. Who are you? You're an heir of God. That's who you are. You're a joint heir with Christ. What the Father has given to the Son, Christ, you get equally, equal portions. We've been, we're going to the lawyer to get our trust done and everything, and you got three kids. So how do you break 100% out over three kids? <laughs> One kid's going to get a, a penny more than the other three, other two, right? That's how, it's just, because what are you getting to? 100%. But who, what are they? They're, they are heirs of Linda and I, but they are joint heirs with each other in that they're getting an equal share, except for one's going to get a penny more than the other two. Okay? Unless I give the penny to somebody else. Who wants to be in my will? <laughs> yeah. Okay, you're in. <laughs> All right. Yeah, a penny of zero is usually what? <laughs> zero. But that's the issue here. The, what the Holy Spirit, what is the Father? He's, here's who you are. You're an heir. You're a joint heir with Christ. This is who you are. I reckon, verse 18, I reckon that the suffering of the present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory, which shall be what? Revealed in us. Hey, there's going to be a glory revealed. So when you think about what the Holy Spirit's doing, verse 26 and 27 here, he's not over here in this hoodly-doo, mumbo-jumbo, you know, speak it and boom. Rather, he's coming along and he's, he's seeking to bring our understanding in line with the understanding and the wisdom, the knowledge, the prudence, the information that the Father has revealed for us today in the age of grace. If you look at verse 27, and he that searcheth the what? The hearts. That's how you know this is an inner man issue. We looked last time at 2 Corinthians 12 where Paul besought the Lord three times to do what? Remove that thorn in the flesh, that physical infirmity of, I believe in the context it's a person, it's an individual, but it can be anything. If, you know, I'm, it's not a hard and fast deal for if you want to say no, it's something else. Schofield says it's his eye problems and all this other in the context of chapter 10, 11, 12, and 13, and into Galatians 1, I think it's a person, it's an individual. He says three times, get rid of him. Get rid of the thorn. The messenger of Satan sent the buffet me. And what did the Lord say? Sure, no problem. No, he said what? And he said unto me, the first five words in that verse. What's the word of the Father? What's the word of God to him? My grace is sufficient, right? So what we learn in 2 Corinthians 12 about prayer, one, we learn prayer is to come and pour your heart out. Paul's legitimate in asking him. Philippians 4 is clear. We can come and bring anything and everything to him. Why? He wants that intimate relationship. 
But we learn in 2 Corinthians 12 that he's not going to change the situation, the circumstance. But rather, 1 Corinthians 10, he's going to make a way for you to do what? Bear it, escape, work down through it. Here in Romans 8, the Holy Spirit, he's seeking to bring our hearts, the seed of our understanding, in line with the thinking and the understanding of the Father. And that usually sits for us in the realm of the details of life that's going on. So then the question in all of this is how then does the Holy Spirit seek to do this? How does he doing it? What's the mechanics? So in, in 827, you have the mechanics. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. What's he doing? By the way, the he and he that searches the hearts, that's the Father. What's he searching the hearts of, of, uh, for? What is the mind of the Spirit? Because he, that's the Spirit, is making the intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So you have the, you have the Father and the Spirit. The Father is searching for something. So when we talk about prayer, prayer is not about getting something. That's, by the way, that's the heathen idea. You know, he's a big vending machine in the sky, and if we pray enough, then he'll drop down goodies on us, you know, blessings from heaven. You know, you know how, contra, how opposite that is of Ephesians 1 verse 3 that says you're blessed with all spiritual blessings? Colossians 2, you're complete in him. See, if we're looking for stuff to fall, then you know what we don't believe? We're complete, and we got it all, see? Prayer is designed to motivate you. It's designed to change your heart. It's designed to, to adjust your thinking. That's what happened to Paul in 2 Corinthians. Look over at 2 Corinthians 12. I've been talking about it. This is kind of all review from last week. But just look here. You see, the Father is searching the hearts of the believers, and what he's looking for is the mind of the Spirit. We'll talk about that in just a second, in just a minute. But he's looking to adjust your thinking. That's what he's doing, and he's, gonna, and he's using his word. In 2 Corinthians 12, if you look there at verse 7, unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations... There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Paul's been taken up into the third heaven. He's been shown uh, the, the Ephesians doctrine and, and the big picture and the, and the, and the end and everything. And he's, he's got all this information in it. And do you know how hard it would be not to go out and tell people, tell the believers? It, that's what he talks there in the end of verse 4, which is not lawful for a man to utter. It isn't that he can't tell, it's just not time. Could you imagine him overwhelming the Corinthians with information about the heavenly places? When in 1 Corinthians 2, he says, I want to tell you, but I can't, because we're only, we're only this, this information is only for the mature believers. So we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, and if the rulers of the world known it they wouldn't have crucified him and all, you know he just wants to say it but it's just not time yet so he gets this messenger from satan 
Verse 8, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. By the way, the end of that, what the Lord tells him, we always forget. We always stop it. My grace is sufficient. But that's not all that he said. He said, For my strength is made perfect, where? In weakness. When Paul, you need to adjust your thinking. When you're at your weakest point, now think about the thorn in the flesh where it had gotten Paul to his weakest point. He was done dealing with the guy. Paul's retort or response, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproach and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. You see, Paul had his thinking adjusted. That happens through prayer. And prayer is a conversation. It's not a command to go do it or else. When they ask him, when they ask the Lord to teach us to pray, we looked at it last time, Luke 11, teach us to pray. And what did he teach them to pray? He taught them the, what is called the Our Father prayer. Because where were they? They're getting ready to go through the tribulation, the 70th week, and, and, and enter into the kingdom. And that prayer is for them to be praying in, the king, in, in that time period of tribulation, 70th week of Daniel, and the kingdom. Because he, he said what? Thy kingdom what? Come. The, Old Te- the prophets have been saying, the Old Testament saints, the guys behind the altar there in Revelation, how long until you come back? What are they saying? What are they praying? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Give us our daily bread. Well, they had had that experience in the wilderness under with manna and, and Moses. They understood what they were praying. You know, that's dumb Gentiles. We just get over there and start mumble jumbling, think things are going to fall out of heaven. And God's not working that way today. So it's, a, it's, a, it's not a command to do. It's not a challenge. It's reasonable. It's a conversation about how to take the word of God and apply it to the details of life. Because when Paul says that, are you still there in 2 Corinthians 12? Look at what Paul says. The Lord says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Okay? Now watch what Paul does. Paul just re-says it back. He just re-says what the, what the Father just said to him, the, 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 uh, the Lord just said to him. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my what? In my, in my infirmities, in my weakness, where am I going to be, where, whose strength am I going to lean on? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. I, glad, I therefore, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproach, in necessities, in persecution, in distress. All of that stuff is weak when you look at it from a human viewpoint. But I'm doing it, why? So that the power of Christ may rest upon. So literally, prayer is just saying back to the Father what he's just said to you. Do you follow that? So when you learn, you take the word of God, rightly divided, you put it in your inner man, and it's building up, and then you start talking to the Father about, hey, look, how do I do this? And he says, read this verse. And you go read that verse, and you go, wow, look, okay, that, I can take that verse and I can apply it to that situation. 
and I know what happens. People say, oh, but Rick, you know, he doesn't have one over here about my situation. Really, are you sure about that? <laughs> Let's go look and find out what you find out. Is there's a, you, there is a verse or two about your situation. And then when you sit over here and you got a, something good happening, you know, you found that box in the garage, and woohoo, look at that, I found it. And you know what you say? Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord, I found it. Rejoice evermore. <laughs> you know? And again I say, rejoice. Boom, here we go. Then you get into the box, and the, the item you're looking for, which was my case the other day, isn't in there. So you go, all right, Lord. You know what I need? Patience. Because I'm ready to call the junk man. <laughs> and boom, junk it off, right? You know? So it's where we're at. Come back with me to 1 Chronicles 28. There's something in this issue where when you talk about prayer that comes up quite often, and that is why in the world do we pray when the Father knows everything? Why in the world do that? If you look at 1 Chronicles 28, in verse 9, he says, And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. Again, that two ways you think, imagination and thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee, but if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. That thing there about perfect heart, that isn't a sinless heart. Solomon was a sinner. He was a big sinner. He ended his life as a, as a type of the Antichrist. 666 was tattooed all over him. Okay? So the perfect heart there has to do with where they're sitting in, in time here about the issue of it's someone who is searching the Lord and who loves the Lord. It's the willing mind. He's not off after pagan gods and so forth. Here in Chronicles, he's not there yet. He does get there. He marries outlandish women, <laughs> women that are outside the land, broke the rules. And, uh, yeah, he, he had quite a few of them, you know, a couple, seven or 800 concubines and a couple hundred thousand. I'm like, man, you know. The old saying is, uh, anyway, we'll, we won't say what the old saying is. <laughs> but notice that the Lord searcheth all, what? Hearts. And understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. Your, your, your thoughts, that's where the facts are. That's where reality is. Imaginations, that's where the lies lay. That's where the dreams are. That's where, you know, the reality isn't really, what, real. My imagination, you know. You, you've had those. You stand there, I, next time I see that guy, I'm going to really, you know. And it's like, no, you see him and you don't even do that. Well, you, you gotta, it's, it's vain, it's empty, there's nothing there. The father, what does he do? He knows all, doesn't he? So then why talk to him? Come over to Revelation all the way to the other end of the book. Revelation 2. Revelation 2. It's an interesting thing when you think about prayer and talking to the Father and that he searcheth the hearts. And this, the question comes up, okay, if he knows everything, 
Why pray? What are we doing here? Revelation 2, look at verse 23. 223. And I will kill her children with death, and all the children, I'm sorry, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. Searcheth the reins. You know what you do with the rein on a horse? You control it. You direct it. What's controlling you? What's directing you? What drives you? What's motivating you? He says, I know. I, I got gotcha. you. What do we love? What do you love? That's what's driving you. That's what's pushing you. That's what's motivating you. And you know what God's going to say? Do you love me? First Corinthians 2 and verse 9, the Apostle Paul makes a, a connection to that. We did this last time, the connection between Romans 8 and 1 Corinthians 2. 2.9, but as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. You see, the eye gate, the ear gate, and the heart gate, the in, in, intuition, and the most dangerous is the heart because that's where you're trying to figure out and you, and you begin to go by an emotion rather than your will. How do, you, how do we love God today? How do you love him? Well, we love him by valuing and esteeming the things the way he does. We love what God has revealed to us. That's what he's going to say, verse 10. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. He's, what's God revealed to us today? This wonderful message of grace, the riches of his grace, his love, his mercy, his long-suffering. And he revealed it to us Where? in his word, and he's given us the spirit to come in. So when we come in and we come over to Matthew 6, when we come in and we think about prayer and the spirit interceding, see, he doesn't intervene. He doesn't change your circumstance or situation, you know. That thing over there in Luke with the good Samaritan and that guy, by chance, he went that way. He woke up in the morning, said, you know what? I-10 at the Broadway curve's closed, so I'm going to go to 101. And boom, by chance, he decided to go. See, it isn't a pre, that pre-designed thing we were talking about a couple, well, a couple months ago now. <laughs> okay? It's hard when you're gone two and a half weeks. It's remember where you're at. So you see, he, he, he's working this way. He's, he's searching. He's got the reins. And you know what prayer does to you? Prayer reveals what's important to you. It exposes you to your understanding of what God's doing today. It's interesting when I ask people to pray for us out loud. I usually don't do it because it embarrasses people, so we haven't done it. you know. Because when you pray out loud, what are you exposing? What's going on inside? You know, dearly Father, we thank you for today and uh, make Rick go short. <laughs> Amen. You know, hey, uh, the Bears got to beat the Packers, you guys from Wisconsin. Okay. You know, hey, it reveals what's going on inside of you, it exposes you. 
So that makes prayer far more than just getting something or fixing something. Rather, it really holds us responsible. It holds us personally accountable to the revealed will of God. And that's what 827 is going to get into here. Because prayer is really nothing more than just expressing our understanding of all that he is and all that he's doing today in the age of grace for us. As we sit, as we go through things, turmoils of life or mountaintops of life, hey, the prayer just exposed. How do you understand that? Now, in Roman, I know you're in Matthew 6, but in Romans 8, we're going to get into verse 28 next time. And all the good happens to all them that love God. And see, look, if you're getting the good, then you're loving God. And if you're getting the bad, you ain't. And you know what? That is not how life works. Now, religion wants you to think that. But reality tells you that's not how this is working. You understand that. Matthew 6 and verse 8, he just told them, verse 7, But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Boy, it's not, that just kills the prayer life of the average Christian right there. It really does. Be not ye therefore like unto them. For your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. Now, the Lord's talking to the believing remnant, the little flock in Israel. Again, Matthew is full of education for them about the 70th week of Daniel. Okay? In our studies in Matthew, we spent weeks, months, a year looking and going down through the different things that are, the Lord is teaching them as their king. Here's what's coming in that 70th week of Daniel, and you need to be ready. And you know what? The Father knows all about that. But what does he tell them? After this manner, therefore, what? Pray ye. Well, wait a minute. If he knows it all, then why am I praying this? Because he wants what? He wants an intimate communion with you. Because if, you know how you, when you know something and then you've got to come over here and tell somebody about it, you kind of know it a little different than you just learned it from the book study. He communicated back to him. Look over with me at Psalms 139. The, the Psalms 139, fascinating psalm fascinating psalm here, Psalms 139. The first 13 verses go through the, the omniscience of God, the, the uh, what's the one where he knows everything is omniscience? I, I'm bad at the omni words, okay? There's three of them. He's right there, and he says he know, he's omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. He's got it all, and yet what does he want? He still wants you to talk to him. He's still, why? Because you're, you're a son of God. You're an adult in the family, and adults have what? Conversations. Look at 39.1. Oh, Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Is there any doubt that when David wrote this, 
that the Lord had searched him and knows him. And yet, what is David doing here? He's, pray, he's talking to the Father. He's praying. Now, it's a psalm, but he's praying. Thou knowest my downsitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compa- uh, uh, compassest my path and lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. There's nothing that the Lord doesn't know about David. He knows all of his failures and he knows all of his successes. Verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. The Man, the Father knows everything. What's he doing? Romans 8, 27. He's searching the hearts. He's looking for something. He's not looking over here, did you go to church this week? He's looking for the mind of the Spirit in our case. Here he's looking for some things in David's life. If you look there at verse 13, For thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. My reins, directing him. Right there, moving with him, working with him, working down through him. And David says, hey, here I, I'm exposed to you, Father. And that's what prayer does. It exposes you. You know, now we lay me down to sleep for my soul to keep. I'll butcher it so you, you know. And if I should die before I wake, I pray my soul. How's he going to take your soul? Only if you're where? In him. You see, that's a prayer of children. Immaturity. Paul says, we don't know what we're praying. Guess what? We're in this immature stage. We're back, go back to Romans 8. <laughs> okay? I think you get the idea. He searches you. He knows you. The reason you're going to pray is because we don't know what we ought to be praying for. We have an infirmity in our knowledge and our understanding. Now, again, you know, we talked last time. In Romans 8, Paul doesn't have all of the revelation given to him yet like he does in Ephesians. In Ephesians 1, in Ephesians 3, and Philippians 1, and Philippians 4, and Colossians 1, five times Paul lays out the prayer of a mature believer. What you're praying for, your eyes being enlightened, your knowledge enlightened, your love, your mental attitude would abound. You can pray for anything, just know what the answer is going to be. The peace of God will keep your hearts and mind. And then in Colossians 1, he brings it all together in a neat little package, and he says, here's what a mature believer is going to pray for. In Romans 8, we're not there yet. Follow me? Romans 8, we're learning. We're just getting our groundwork established. And what do we learn? That we got a helper. We have a power center called the Holy Spirit. The whole of chapter 8. We've got this helper who will come along and remember when we talked about he helpeth our infirmities. He comes in and he takes his side of the table of the boulder. You have to take your side of the boulder. And together he'll help you move it and deal with it. He doesn't come in and say, I got this, hang on, and, and you know, the Hulk, pick it up and move it. He says, you get your side, I'll get my side, and we'll work together with it. 
And the Holy Spirit comes and he intercedes. But he doesn't, if you look here, he's interceding in our hearts, in our inner man. He intercedes with, the, with his mind, the, the thinking here of the Father, of the Spirit. Think about this. Here's, here's Rick's thinking. I think about this this way. The Spirit comes in and says, you know what? You think about it this way. The Father's thinking about it this way. And we got to get you two guys together. Okay? So, well, the word of the Father's never going to change, is it? <laughs> Who's got to adjust? I do. But how does the Spirit do that? Not dragging and kicking. Because then that's not, he comes in and he says, hey, I'm going to bring you together. I'm going to bring you guys to the same conclusion. And we're going to use the word of God to do that. Think about the Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Eden. I'm, I'm sorry, the Garden of Gethsemane. He's on his way to the cross. He knows it. Three times he says what? Do you remember? Can this cup not be, can I, can you, Lord, Father, take this cup away from me? Let it not pass before me. Three times. How many times did Paul ask? Three times. But what did the Father say? He never said anything. He was silent. What did the Son ultimately say? Not my will, but thy will be done. What adjusted the son's thinking was the word of the father that if I go die, I will, resurrect, I will be resurrected. And we studied that when we went down through Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, okay? And in 6, that issue of being identified. What did the son know? He knew that the Father, before the foundation of the world, had that plan of, Son, you're going to go die for man, and we're going to do this, and I'm going to resurrect you. In Acts 2 there, when Peter says, My Lord said to your Lord, you, you won't leave my soul in hell. You won't see corruption. What does he know? Resurrection. So here's the Son in the, in the moment, sweating drops of blood, looking at the wrath of God without mixture in that cup, and he, what is he begging? Remove it. Is there a way for this not to happen to me? And he goes, hang on a minute. I know what the a prophet said. Not my will, but thy will be done. You follow how that's working. It isn't, I mean, you got Paul doing the same thing. Remove it. And the, father's, the, son remind, the Lord reminds him, hey, my grace is sufficient for when you're weak, I'm strong. Paul adjusts his thinking to saying, you know what? I'm good with being weak. Because when I'm weak, the issue isn't me. The issue is my sufficiency in Christ. That's the adjusting. That's what is happening here. That's what Romans 8, 26, and 27 is really all about. Because he's going to come in, and how does he make intercession? How does he intercede for us? He doesn't do it for us. He does it in us. Look at verse 27. And he, that's the Father, that searcheth the hearts, he's looking for something. 
in your heart. Look at that, verse 827. The Father is searching for something in the heart of the believer. What's he looking for in the verse? What is the mind of the Spirit? What is the Father looking for? The mind of the Spirit. Do you see? That's what he's looking for. He's not looking for how many people you got saved. He's not looking for how many, how many you know, have you missed a church? He's looking for what? The mind of the Spirit. Which is fantastic because Paul has already told us what the mind of the Spirit is. Chapter 8. Go back up to verse 5. He's already laid in. When we went down through the first part of this chapter a year and a half ago, it feels like. <laughs> okay. He says, hey, here's the mind of the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. Now, that's not death as in you're in the grave, throw dirt in your face. That's functional death. That's a death of I'm not able to function now as who I am in Christ because I'm over here living in the flesh. I'm being carnal. By the way, you know you can do that, right? You can. What's the result going to be? Functional death. But... To be spiritually minded is life and peace. What's the result of the fruit of the Spirit? You remember those Galatians 5? Love, joy, peace. What's the fruit? You think about fruit. You go out, we have a lemon tree and a tangelo tree at home. And the tangelo tree is the little guy. And you know what I'm always looking for? Buds. <laughs> I think we got a couple this time. He's just getting started. You know what? What do you look for on a fruit, you, on a fruit tree? You look for what? Life. You know? When we had all that heavy wind earlier in the spring, I'm out there with the board trying to protect it. Why? Because he's got buds everywhere. And what is the wind going to do? Blow them away. I didn't really do that. It was a thought that I had, okay? But the thing is, is what is the fruit of the Spirit? What is the mind of the Spirit going to produce? Life and peace. What do, look at verse 11. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, and by the way, he does, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Quicken your mortal body. Bring it to life. Make it usable. By the way, the tangelo tree produces what kind of fruit? Tangelos. The lemon tree produces lemons. They are not the same fruit. The fruit of the flesh is going to be, looks like one thing, Galatians 5. The fruit of the spirit is going to look like something else. One's going to be functional death. One's going to be life and peace. Now go back up to verse 1. By the way, I, I'm going to say this. You have a choice. You can choose to produce whatever fruit you like to mind. That's the issue. The Spirit is consumed in producing in us a very particular 
fruit, a very particular life, and it's called the life of Christ. Verse 1, there is there now no condemnation to them which are in who? Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. The Spirit, you know what he minds? Life in Christ Jesus. When the Father searches our heart, what's he looking for? The mind of the Spirit, which is on who? Life in Christ Jesus. Follow that. Verse 7. Because the carnal minded is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed is. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. You can choose to live in the flesh, just who are you not pleasing? You're not pleasing God. Why? Because the mind of the the Spirit would have you focusing in on the life of Christ. You're over here focusing in on something else. And you know what the Spirit says? I'm right here. I'll wait for you. I'm not going anywhere. You don't lose me. Just come back over here. So you know what happens? You get down to the bottom end of your life in your flesh, and you know what you say? Okay, Lord, I'm at my bottom. I need help. And the Spirit goes, Glad you ask. Are you ready? <laughs> Set, go, and boom, and he, he goes into action. Because what do we know? My grace is sufficient for you. In your weakness, my strength is made perfect in what? Weakness. In verse 27, we are learning. We don't have all the information yet here. We are learning about prayer. We are learning what the mind of the Spirit is. What does the Father know? Everything. I used that illustration last week of Ricky when he was little, and he comes home from school, and he's all excited, talking 90 miles an hour, all excited, and I calmed him down and set him in my lap and said, how was your day? What did you do today? Now, as his father... I know what he did all day long because I know the teacher, there's a schedule, etc. And he begins, boom, boom, boom. I'm like, okay, whew. what'd you have for lunch? I know what he had for lunch. I packed his lunch. Or we knew it was at, in the cafeteria that day. And he said, oh, I had this, blah, blah, blah. But, but Johnny had this, so we traded. I'm like, oh, really? Okay, cool, you know. But I knew everything about him, but what did I want to have with my son? The the communion, the relationship. As a young, as a little tyke, building into him that he can come and talk to me about anything. We're the same way. That's the same relationship with the Father. We talk to him about anything and everything, even though he searches and he knows He still is looking for what's residing in your heart. He's looking for the mind of the Spirit. Come over to 1 Corinthians 2. So when Paul is introducing this to us, 1 Corinthians 2 comes a little later. He's going to add some information now to what we're learning in Romans 8. 1 Corinthians 2, 9. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, 
neither have entered into the hearts of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. You can't know on your own. If you go and try, Solomon did it, the whole book of Ecclesiastes, he goes out there and searches all of the wisdom of man, and at the end he concludes, guess what? you still got to go back to the Creator. Sorry. Every major philosophy, thought, and idea is plagiarized out of the book of Ecclesiastes. That's where it came from. Wisest man to ever walk the earth, and he goes out looking. You can't know it. Well, but Rick went, no, you can't know that. You, you, I was watching an archaeologist guy, and he was doing a real good job, not on purpose, by the way, of confirming Scripture <laughs> and some of the historical events, right? And he said, see, we can't know this, this, and this. You know that you can't look at archaeology and know that the Bible's right unless you've done what? Read the Bible. You think about that. The atheist ideas and all that stuff, human viewpoint, all, you don't know if it's counter scripture unless you've done what? Read the scripture. Follow that? Which is what he's now going to get into in verse 10 and following, is that guess what you have to have? You've got to have the scripture on the table in order for you to know something. Do you follow that? But God, don't ever read verse 9 without verse 10. How does verse 9 end? Neither hath entered into the hearts of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. You know how 9 ends? You can't know the things that God has prepared for them that love him. 1 Corinthians 2, 9. But what's verse 10 say? But God hath revealed them. So you see, if you leave verse 10 off and you just stop in verse 9, guess what? You can say you can't know. Because that's what verse 9 says. But verse 10 says, but God hath revealed them unto us, how? By his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth, isn't that interesting? The Spirit searcheth what? All things, yea, the deep things of God. Oh man, we want to know the deep things of God, Rick. Just give us the deep things. Well, what's the mind of Christ? I'm sorry, the mind of the Spirit. <laughs> Life in Christ. There's the deep things, by the way, just FYI. That's why you hear me over and over and over again for 20-something years. You've got to know who you are in Christ. Why? There's where the deep things sit. For, I, I just, verse 10 is fantastic. You want to know the things that God has prepared for them that love him. First of all, you've got to have the Spirit. How do you get the Spirit? Trusting in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The finished work of Calvary. You're sealed with the Spirit. Because you have the Spirit, now you can know the what? The deep things of God. Why? Because God is revealing those by His Spirit. So first you've got to have who? The Spirit. Well, verse 11. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the Spirit of man, which is in him. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Isn't that interesting how he re, re, says it twice? <laughs> you don't know unless you got who? The Spirit, because the Spirit knows. Isn't there a thing, the flash knows or something? Okay, the Spirit knows. It's my DC comic days, sorry. <laughs> okay, 
Verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we may know the things that are freely given to us of God. Wow. God wants us to know all the three things that he's given to us. He wants us to know the deep things of God. So what did he do? He, he takes your dead spirit, quickens it, Ephesians 2, 1, puts you in communication with his spirit, and now verse 13, which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now he says, I wrote some words down and the, my spirit's going to use words to teach your spirit about the things that I have prepared for you that love me. The free things. The things that you have in Christ. And all of our prayers are going to rest and reside in Scripture. I've said it. All your prayers have been answered. They've just it's answered on the pages of Scripture. Your emotions say... No, i got to have an experience. By the way, you know, an experience, experience will always beat truth. Because truth resides in walking by faith. Experience, what can I do? My eye gate, my ear gate, and my heart gate, verse 9, are all satisfied. So, what, hey, i got experience. <laughs> And you, I come along and say, yeah, but that's not what the Scripture says. How's the script, how does the Spirit work? He works with the Word. How did God reveal Himself? Think about that. How do you reveal yourself? You have to do what? Speak. How do you know that I'm Charles Richard Jordan III? That's my full name. None of you knew that unless I did what? Speak it. Tell you that. Okay? What did God do? Spoke some words. And when he speaks these words, that's why 2 Corinthians 2 verse 9, And he said unto me, is the answer to the, your prayer. You see, the Holy Spirit works in the realm of our inner man, in our hearts. Your hearts, the seat of your understanding. With the heart, man believes under righteousness. Where your thinking is. By the way, he uses words to teach. He's comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Notice it doesn't say spiritual things with spiritual things. It says spiritual things with what? Spiritual. What spiritual things? Yea, the... Deep things of God. The life in Christ. But what is spiritual? See, spiritual things with spiritual. It's fascinating to me how he, so he's going to come along and he's going to take the words revealed by God, the deep things of God, the spiritual things, and he's communicating it to your spirit, to your inner man the component of you that is spiritual. And we learn that the Holy Spirit is going to use words to teach us 
to reveal the deep things, the spiritual things, the things that God has freely given to us, and it's going to work in the realm of our spirit and our inner man. And he's going to massage that down. Look, look over with me at John 6. John chapter 6. We've got to get this, and then we'll move on. John 6. Look at verse 63. You see, folks, we, how, how the Father knows everything, yet he's searching the, mind, the hearts of the believers, and he's looking for the mind of the Spirit, and he's looking for life in Christ. He's looking for all of that sound doctrine. And then in chapter 8, verse 27, uh, I know you're in John 6, but just got to catch this part here of this. Because he maketh intercession for, for the saints according to the will of God. What's the Spirit doing? Because he, the Spirit, maketh intercession. He's coming in using the Word of God, using the things of the life in Christ Jesus, using the deep things of God to adjust our thinking so our activity matches what the Word of the Father, the will of the Father, would have us do. It, he isn't changing the word of the Father. He's adjusting our thinking and bringing those two together, that intercession, that third party bringing two parties together. Do, do you see? I, you, that's what prayer is all about. You read three chapters a day, you get the word in you, John 6, 63, it is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. You take in the Word of God, you read chapter, three chapters a day, Romans to Philemon specifically, and you know what begins to happen? You will naturally change. Your speech will change. Your thinking will change. What is it? It's the Spirit is bringing you and the will of God together through the Word of God. Look over at chapter 14 of John. John 14, I, that's what prayer is designed really to do here. It's not designed for you to get something. It's designed to come along and to re-educate you and to bring you, give you the help that you need. He helpeth our infirmities. How's he going to do that? He ain't changing it. He's coming in and helping you lift it and bear it and go through it. John 14, look at verse 26. John 14, 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you. And again, the you here is a little flock, the believing remnant. But what I want you to catch is how he's working. Will teach, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your, what? Remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. The Holy Spirit's going to come and teach them, and he's going to remind them of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the earthly ministry, what he said in the earthly ministry of Christ. Look down at verse, chapter 16 and verse 13. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, boy, what a title, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. There's the commission to writing of Hebrews through Revelation, the books about the things to come. But what's the Spirit doing? He's teaching them, he's reminding them, but he's speaking what he hears. He's not talking about himself. What's he talking about? The will of the Father. What is the Father having to be done? 
Notice verse 13 very carefully. By the way, 1717, sanctify them with the, uh, through thy truth, thy word is truth. What's he using? He's using words on a page in what's called scripture, script. Write it down. And for us, come over to Acts 1. For us English-speaking people, it's found in a King James Bible. Because all the other Bibles... You get the verses, you run them, they deteriorate, they detract from who the Lord Jesus Christ is. They attack that. He says it in Hebrews, quoting Psalms, Lo, in the volume of the book it is written about me, and if the volume of the book tears him down, then you ought to pitch that book. <laughs> Sorry. The only book on the market that does not attack the Lord Jesus Christ is a King James Bible. It's just the facts. You can argue all day long about all the other nonsense. The fact is, which one promotes the Lord Jesus Christ, protects the Lord Jesus Christ, protects the Apostle Paul in the message today? It's a King James Bible. Anyway, you found Acts 1. Oh, man, is it really time to quit? Ah. All right, verse 16, real quick. Men and brethren, this is Peter, men and brethren, the scriptures must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David, what? spake, and then he quotes Psalms 41. You go over in verse 20, for it is written in the book of Psalms, and he quotes Psalm 69, and if you want to read that, you go read Psalm 69, but what's he do? He spake. How did he speak? By the mouth of who? By the mouth of David. Go over there to Acts 28, the, the last chapter in the book, verse 25 and 26 Verse 25, Paul says, And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed. After that, Paul had spoken one word. Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet. Under our, he, Paul says, hey, the Holy Ghost spake through Isaiah, Isaiah 6. And he said this, and you guys are doing, you know, and boom. Come over to, uh, well, you're in Acts. Oh, look at Mark 12. Mark chapter 12. You see, folks, when we talk here about prayer, we're not talking about something mystical. We're talking about taking the Word of God, putting it into your inner man, and letting the Spirit energize that Word as you apply it to the details of life, ultimately as you're pouring out your heart to the Father. Look at Mark 12. Look at verse, 30, verse 36. For David himself said by the Holy Ghost, the Lord said to my Lord, and he, and he quotes Psalms 110, verse 1. If you go over in 2 Peter 1, verse 21, the Holy Ghost speaks by, uh, well, I just butchered that, didn't I? 2 Peter 1, 21. Oops. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So come back to Romans 8. Romans 8, 26 and 27, The Spirit helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Prayer is the issue. And the Spirit comes in using the Word of God that you put into your inner man, here, we're learning. We don't have all the details we have now, okay? 
We're learning. We're growing. And he says, hey, get the details on board, the information on board, and the Spirit will come and help you. Bring your thinking and the Father's thinking in line, the will of God in line. And that's done through prayer. He doesn't change your situation. Verse 28 is going to tell us, and we know that all things work together for good to them, love God to them who are called. And everybody says, see, if you love God, it's all going to work out. Yeah, but what happens when it doesn't work out? Because that's sometimes how it happens. Well, then you just didn't have enough faith and love God. No, but that's not what those verses are talking about. How does the Holy Spirit intercede today? He does it through the words on the page of the scriptures, of the Bible. King James Bible for English-speaking people. As he works those words into your inner man, the life of Christ, the mind of Christ, the thinking. And he brings those two, because when your thinking is in line with what the Father's doing, then you know what you're going to go do? Then you're going to go do the things, the good works, he calls them, the things that need to be done, okay? In Romans 8, we're learning. He's just introducing it. And I know what happens out there in Christian dumb out there. They get it all. They, get, they run to these verses and they butcher them. And Paul's like, nope, the context is infirmities. You want help in your infirmities? You got a power source, the Spirit. The Spirit was going to work this way. And we begin to learn that, okay? All right. Well, I owe you seven minutes, but you'll get over it. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word, for the instructions here for the education of our inner man. We appreciate that and we thank you for it. In your name we pray, amen.